um, computers. But again, we also have in the Bible heroes who everybody knows about. You go to the Sunday school and they are there. We have Abraham, we have Isaac, we have David, we have Solomon. Name them, the disciples. They are the big players in the field, big players in the team, and everybody knows them. But ladies and gentlemen, I believe that much as these big players are very important, much as these big players make things happen, because like I said earlier on, everything rises and falls on leadership. I also believe that there are the little things that help to support the great ones. If you take a table, for instance, or this podium, we see the top of the podium, and it's very nice. But you see, underneath the podium are small, small, small stands, which if they are not there, or one is not in place, you will see that this whole podium will slant. If you put anything on it, it's going to slide down. Just because one little stand is not in this place. And this morning, I'm paying tribute to the little, little insignificant people who are in our homes, who are in our families, who are in the church, who are in the business places. And we think, oh, without them, we can go ahead and do our work all right. But I want you to know that if one of them is taken out of the place, things will not hold. And maybe to borrow pastor's words, things will fall apart and the center cannot hold. Hallelujah. This morning I pay tribute to ordinary people. Even though they look ordinary, they do extraordinary things. They show strength of character. They do great deeds and yet their names are not known in the archives. When the past sings the names of people that have done great things, their names are not mentioned. I'm talking about the little big people. They do heroic things and yet they largely go unnoticed. You look in the Bible and we see a lot of them. See great people. They look ordinary. They look weak. They look like nothing good comes out of them. And yet they are strategically placed by God and with them he does great things. Let's look at a story like the, the battle that Deborah and Barak fought. We all know of Deborah. We all know of Barak, the great army general. And we know of Deborah, the prophetess who went with Barak into the battle. And yet at the end of the day, when he came to killing the general, it was a housewife, Jael. She was the one who God allowed to do the final knocking down. He was, she was the one who gave the, the, the ultimate victory to Israel. A housewife. What did she use? She didn't have much. She had a tent peg, which she uses in her house. She had milk, which she, she, she uses to serve maybe her husband and her household. Those were the simple, simple, simple things. The simple um, um, tools and equipment that she had. A simple woman, a housewife, and yet she was the one who did the job. Hallelujah. I'm talking about the little big people. Those that look like they don't matter, and yet when they are not in place, things will always fall apart. Who are the little big people? 
I believe that by my definition, you should know by now who I'm talking about. These are the people who make substantive and yet unrecognized contribution. A people whose bravery is not known or acknowledged. A people who in the face of danger and adversity or from a position of disadvantage display courage, the will for sacrifice for some greater good. The little big people. They are the ones that make things happen. And with this, I want us to turn our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5, where we will see some big players and then we will see some little big people. 2 Kings chapter 5. I read from the verse 1. Are we all there? Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Israel, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. Take note, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Verse 4. And one went in. We don't know who the person was. Some translations say it was Naaman himself. But when you read the King James Version, it says, and one went in. A nameless person. An unknown person. And he told his Lord, saying, thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Israel said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. Sorry, the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 10,000 pieces of gold, 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, now, when this letter comes to thee, behold, I have Therewith sent Naaman, my servant, unto thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass that when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man thou sent unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel with me. And it was so that Elisha, the man of God, that heard that the king of Syria had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Hallelujah. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. He was very angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would come out to me and stand, can you imagine, and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover 
the leper. Can you imagine a patient going to a doctor and telling the doctor what prescription and what diagnosis, what method he should use to cure him? Are not Abana and Fapa, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants, not his servants, came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldn't thou, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again unto came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And they came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth, Before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules bedding of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offerings nor sacrifices unto other gods, but unto the Lord God. Hallelujah. Now we see a story about a great general, somebody who was great in his exploits. He conquered and through him, the land or the, the, the land and the king of Israel, sorry, Syria, occupied a lot of land because they, they were able to spread themselves wide. They had a lot of subjects and they conquered all these people. And Israel was one of the nations that they conquered. Now in this passage, you see that there were some big players who played their role to make this miracle come to pass. The first one you see is Elisha, the prophet. He was the one God used to bring about the miracle. And then you see Naaman, the commander, the army commander, a mighty man of valor. He was an honorable man who is supposed to be the one who, Babu said, drew a bow at a venture and killed Ahab. When he went to war with Jehoshaphat. That is what history tells us. That it was this army commander who drew that bow that hit Ahab and he died. And then we see the king of Syria. He had so much influence. He had so much power. As soon as he was given the information, he says, wow, get ready. Get somebody to, I'm sending you straight to the king of Israel. By all means, once the letter is coming from me, he will have to act. That is a big player. And then the king of Israel also, with all the people of Israel under him, he had influence over the people, over the prophets and everyone. And so I'm sure the king of, Israel, king of Syria felt, by all means, once this letter gets to the king of Israel, wherever the prophet is, the person will come out. And so we see these big players and every one of them had their role to play. 
But you also see that there were some little people, insignificant people, who were instrumental in bringing about the healing of Naaman. And the first one, I'm sure your guess is as good as mine, is Naaman's maid. A little Israelite maid who waited on Naaman's wife. And we see this girl who was taken as a prisoner of war. They brought her into Syria. And I can imagine that the parents felt that we've lost our daughter for good. We, we will not see our daughter again. What, is, what has befallen us? Many times we go through challenges, we go through problems, and some of them, they were not caused by us. What I mean is, if let's say you were going to school, and then all of a sudden, you lost your father or both parents. And because of that, you had to drop out of school. Now, this calamity that has befallen you did not happen through any fault of yours. And yet, it has come. And many times, like the, the maid in Naaman's house, I'm sure that the parents were like, woe unto us. What is happening to us? Why are, have, have we lost our daughter? And I'm sure they must have lamented and done so many things, grieved. But you see, God was the one who was seeing the big picture. Syria was a land that was in darkness. Syria was a place where they did not know any other God apart from the God Raymond. And I'm sure God decided, if I should take the king of Israel to go and talk to these people, they will not listen to him. But he decided, let me take a little maid, somebody who does not know anything, and yet... He knew God. He didn't know anything. didn't know anything about whatever their culture was. But you see, she went to Syria, but she did not leave behind the culture of Israel. And I'm here to talk to somebody. Sometimes you may go on transfer. There are times when you may find yourself in a place where you may not know anybody. And yet, you have the culture of the kingdom of God. And when you have that culture, anywhere that you go to, you must still carry that culture with you. Hallelujah. Carry that culture with you. You are the God that you saved. Carry that God with you. Anywhere that you are. Don't say, oh, where I've come to, nobody knows me. So I can do what I want to do. No. Again, I want to address parents. This girl, we didn't know that she was going to be captured. By the time that she spent with her parents, I believe that the parents taught her the things of God. I want to speak to a parent, a mother, a father, that the time to teach your child the word of God is now. A time is going to come, the child will not be with you. A child may be in school, in secondary school, in the university. You may not be with the child, but the things that you have taught the child at the beginning, those are the things that will carry the child along. Those are the things that will inform the decisions that child would make. And so I implore every parent here, don't take the Christian education for granted. Don't leave it to the child destiny school teachers alone. Your part is to raise up the child in the nature and admonition of the Lord. Raise an altar in your house. Teach the children how to be able to pray. Teach them how to look up to God. Maybe you are in the house and you realize something is missing. You can call on the child. Um, Chrissy, come here. We, have, we can't find this uh, bag I'm looking for, I can't find it. Kwesi, can you pray? And then Kwesi goes on his knees. Kwesi prays. And then we all say amen. 
after a while, the bag is found. And then you're like, ah, but see, we have found this bag. Let's thank God together. You have taught the child an invaluable lesson of knowing that God is a prayer answering God. Hallelujah. This is the time to teach the children. You go into Muslim families and they take the children to Makaranta. Going to Masarachi is not an option. It is a must. Everyone must go, whether you understand the Arabic or not. We run a Christian school and yet the parents, the Muslim parents of the children in the school, after they have closed, some of them take the children straight to Makaranta to teach them Arabic. Because they believe that if they can get them when they are young, then they have them for life. Parents, if you can teach the children when they are young, train up the child in the way that he should go. And when he is grown, he will not depart from it. Naaman's mate was a little big person. There was an unnamed person also who was there. And he was the one who went to tell the king of Syria what was going on. And then there was a secretary who wrote the letters. I believe that many times we don't value the role of the secretary until the secretary writes a wrong letter. Then you know the value of the secretary. Hallelujah. We, have, we saw that there was a messenger who sent the letter to the king of Israel. And then there were Naaman's servants. Who when the man went in a rage and said, I will not dip myself in this muddy Jordan are not the rivers of Damascus, Abana and Parfa better than these ones these servants went to him and said, my father if the prophet had asked you to do a great thing, you would have done it with all of your heart, and I'm looking at a, a general who is going for healing and he has horses, he's in a chariot, he's carrying 10 changes of clothes, he's carrying 10,000 uh, uh, what 10,000 talents of, of gold and, and also silver. And you're like, what is it? And yet when he was asked to do this little thing, he couldn't do it. But you see, thank God for the servants. Say, thank God for the servants. The servants went to him and said, Master, this thing, just go and do it quietly. We all know the problem. If you were in Israel, you would be an outcast. You wouldn't be a general. So if they are asking us to do this, we will all help you. If you want, you to want us to even hold your hands and dip you in, we will do it. And then the Bible said he went and then he did it. Insignificant people and yet they made things happen. Insignificant methods were used and yet they were the ones that brought about the results. Naaman said, I thought he would come and then stand before me. This is a man of God. So by the time he's standing before you, he's standing before you with his God. Can you imagine the pride of Naaman? I thought he would come and stand before me. And then he will point or strike the place, touch the place where the leprosy is. And then he will recover me. But you see, he does not know that the thoughts of God are not our thoughts. 
His ways are not our ways. The Bible says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. There are times when things will happen to us and we don't know why they are happening. But all we know is, as we submit to him, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. There was a time when I began to question God about so many things that were happening in my life. And he said, all I want you to do is align your ways with my ways and align your thoughts with my thoughts. Because as my thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways and your thoughts, if you will align your ways with my ways, your ways will be higher. If you align your thoughts with my thoughts, your thoughts will be higher. And I said, yes, sir. Hallelujah. You look in the Bible and there are so many methods that look insignificant and yet they brought about results. Can you think about a raven feeding a prophet and yet that was what God decided to use? Can you think about Jesus mixing saliva with mud and healing somebody and yet that was what the king of kings chose to use? Can you think about the insufficient resources that a little boy had and he gave it up so that 5,000 people could be fed? And yet, church, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, this is the only one that is recorded in all the accounts. Hallelujah. Insignificant people, insufficient resources, and yet God chooses to use them. Unimportant places. The Jordan River. It was muddy. When it overflowed this bank, you didn't want to go near it. And yet God chose to use the Jordan River. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was the prophecy. And yet, out of Nazareth, came a savior. Years ago when I was coming to Bogatanga, the Lord asked me, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And I said, God, you mean Bogatanga? He said, yes. I said, this one, thou knoweth. <laughs> thou knoweth. Because earlier on, pastor had frightened me that in Boga, the sun is so hot that they didn't have to boil their yams. They only put them in, cut them up, put them in the, in the water, and by the time you say Jack, the thing is boiled. And I was like, what? And he said, hey, the hamatan also is so strong that as you walk around, all you hear is pa, then somebody's lip cracks. Pa, somebody heals cracks. And I'm like, hey, what a place. And so when I was coming and the Lord said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I said, thou knew it. But today, I know that this is the place where God makes rivers in the desert. And he creates a way in the wilderness. Hallelujah. I speak to somebody who is in a place where you think that you are, you are, you are disadvantaged. I'm speaking to somebody who feels that you've been neglected. I am speaking to somebody who feels that you are in a weak position. You have not been treated fairly. But I'm telling you, just submit yourself to God. And know that he is the only one who knows the end from the beginning. And so as you submit to him, surely you will see the 
way God will work things out. I always thank God for this verse that says, Mark the perfect man. Behold the upright. It didn't say the beginning of that man. It didn't say the middle part of the man. It says the end of that man is peace. Hallelujah. I want us to note three things about these little big people. Three things. And the first is that they are all people who God gives responsibility to. They are all people that have responsibility. People that have the responsibility. First Corinthians 12, the verse 28 says, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. God has set. God is the one that sets, not a human being. Sometimes God will use the pastor, but use see God behind the pastor. See God working through the pastor. God has set. God has appointed for his own use. Apostles. They are seen. Secondarily, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracle workers. Gifts of healings. Government, diversities of tongues. And in the middle there, we see helps. Helps. Or when you look at it in other translations, it talks about ministry. It talks about service. Service. Service, it means you are serving. So in the midst of the flamboyant gifts, the ministries of the, of the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, there is the gifts of service embedded in that same scripture. And it is God who sets it. I want you to know that anywhere that God has set you in the church, in, the, in, in, in your workplace, anywhere that you've been set, it is God who has put you there. And he expects you to work. Hallelujah. Some of the ministries, they look glamorous. But others also, you may not even see anything about it. You may not even know how the people are there. But let me tell you that when he set the prophets, he set the apostles, he also set the ministry of helps right in the middle of that same verse. I like what God always does. He makes sure that there is no schism. There is no division. He makes sure that no one looks down on the other. At the end of the day, it is God that should be glorified. Hallelujah. I, I like this um, other verse in Romans 12 and the verse 6 to 8. Shall we turn to Romans 12? Romans chapter 12 from the verse 6. It says, having then gifts, Differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, or what I mean, what I call service, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. He that exhorted on exhortation. He that, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. And he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So I see prophecy. Prophecy cannot be hidden. If you are prophesying, everybody will see you. Everybody will hear. Everybody will know. But apart from the prophecy, it says ministry, service. The people that sweep. The people that work on the lights. The people that are the mixer. 
trying to give us the right kind of sound. I'm talking about the people that shoot the video. Many times when the preacher finishes, we congratulate the preacher and we say, well done. God bless you. God has used you so mightily. But we forget about the video man that stood on his feet the same number of hours as maybe the preacher or maybe more. He might have stood there more hours than even the preacher. But the ministry of health. I'm talking about the people that go to the washroom and when you get there, the whole place is clean. They are washing the place. I'm talking about the Issachar Falls. Those that are at the basement and they are praying. They rise up in the morning and they are praying. In the middle of the night, when everybody is asleep, the Lord wakes them up, puts the bedding on them, and he makes them pray. I'm talking about those little big people. We don't see much of them, and yet they are the ones that make things happen. The prophecy, you see. But then, the ministry, you may not see it. Oh, the teacher, the daskalo, the one that lays, that teaches doctrine. Laying precept upon precept and line upon line. Comparing scripture with scripture. Giving us the Hebrew and the Greek version and even the root words of some of the words that are in the Bible. We see them. We applaud them. What about the exhorters? All they do is take just one scripture and they come to your house. You are down. You are tired. You feel discouraged. And yet they come to you and they tell you, sister, the Lord is on your side. It is well with you. They may not come with any Greek. They don't come with any Hebrew. They don't come comparing scripture with scripture. And yet they come exhorting. They come edifying. I don't know much. But all I can tell you is God is on your side. God is with you. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so is the Lord round about you. That is all I can tell you. And then they are off. Sometimes all they do is share a little testimony that they have experience of God with you. And that is all. Not much. But they too are found in the scripture. And then there are those that give. There are those that rule or they administer. And then there are others also that show mercy. Those that show mercy, you may not even see them. All they have to do is to hear that their sister is sick. Or to hear that their brother's house has been burnt and they run there. And they gather some money and they go and give to the person quietly. Nobody sees them and yet they make things happen. And yet they help to keep the body together. All these groups of people are found in the same scripture. It means that God has given everybody the responsibility. Hallelujah. Can you imagine how it would be like if all of us decide that, look, we all want to be the apostles and the prophets and the pastors. We also want to be seen. Can we all be the mouth? Where will be the hands to feed the mouth? Or if we decide that we will all be fit, fine. We will move to a place very swiftly. But after that, what do we do? We will just stand. Or we decide that, look, we will all be the head. We will all be head. Can you imagine this room? And every one of us, we are all one head. What a great head that head would be. Full of ideas, full of wisdom, and yet it will not be able to implement anything. The ideas are there, but that is it. But God, in His wisdom, has decided to set some up, to set some down, so that together we can accomplish His purpose. There was something a man of God said. One day, he looked at the ministry of health 
And he, he told himself, ah, there are big guns and there are little guns. The big guns can fire and it will be loud. And then the little guns too, ah, they too, they are there. Silent. And the Lord told him, there are no big guns and there are no little guns in my house. There is only one gun and all of you are bullets. All of you are bullets. The only unfortunate thing is that some of the bullets, when I fire, they fire. Others too, I make crock, crock, crock. I try to release them and they will not go because they think they are little. Because they think they are, they are insignificant. Because they think they don't have what it takes to be able to, you know, make things happen. Because they think they don't matter. So some are fired and some crack, crack, crack. And the, the bullet stays in. No big guns, no little guns. We are all bullets in one gun. Hallelujah. So we all have responsibility. We all have something that we can do in the house of the Lord. If it were not for these heroic nobodies, we would not have top-notch officers to give a church its leadership or quality sound when everyone shows up for worship or janitors who clean when everyone is long gone or committees that provide dozens of services. They are carrying uh, um, um, polytanks here and there, moving this, painting, doing so many things, especially before the convention started. And I salute every one of the people that make sure that things happen for the convention to take place. I salute them, the prayer force, the Isaka force. I salute those that visit the sick on their own. Nobody knows that they are even visiting. They go on their own. They spend their own money. They have a whole hospital ministry. They go on their own. Prisons ministry. They go there. And nobody even knows about them. There are ushers who are at the car park. And whilst people are inside and they are receiving, they are, they are, they are taking the anointing, they are at the car park. And they are like, these are the cars of the children of God. And my duty is to sit, stand by them and make sure that they are protected. They are also very important. Hallelujah. Bible says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God personally gets involved in every detail of our lives and he has created us for his service. The way to know God's significance in your life is to do what God has called you to do and keep doing it until he tells you to stop. Keep doing it until he tells you to stop. You may not be acknowledged. You may not be applauded. But your role is a very important one. There's a story about four animals that went to, I must look at my time, that went, that were trying to hold some classes. And the curriculum was that everybody must learn how to swim. Everybody must learn how to fly. Everybody must learn how to run. And everybody must learn how to, to swim, to fly, to run, to climb. And I'm talking about the students being the duck, <laughs> the eagle, the rabbit, and then the monkey. Every one of these people have their areas of strength. But here's a curriculum. The duck must learn how to run. Can a duck run? 
So they tried, everybody was trying. The eagle was doing his best to see how he could swim. And some of them were trying to climb. Finally, they realized that even the areas that they were strong in, they had become average. Because the duck tried to run so much that later on, the duck's feet became sore. And so when he tried to swim, he couldn't do it well. All I'm saying is we have our areas. Don't look at somebody. Don't look at the people that think, oh, we are the ones. No. In the sight of God, we are all the same. I want you to also understand something. We, are, we all have responsibility. I also want you to know that because we have responsibility, God respects every one of us. God respects every one of us. We are respected. Many times you look at yourself and you feel discouraged. You feel this thing, it won't work. You feel you are insignificant. But I want you to know that God is not a respecter of persons. And I like the verse that says in 1 Corinthians 1, the verse 26. It says, for you see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen. Say God has chosen. The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The base things of the world and the things that are despised has God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things which are, that no flesh, no flesh will glory in his sight. It is not about noble birth. It is not about strength. It is not about wisdom. But it's about the fact that God should be glorified in all that we do. You read Joel chapter 2, and it's interesting. When he said, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, but he takes time to single out the ones that look like they are weak, the ones that look like they are disadvantaged. He says, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters, sons, daughters, little experience, young in age, and yet he says, your sons and daughters, they shall prophesy. The old men, they look like their strength is finished. Their lives are over. They have the experience, but the strength to carry it out is not there. And yet he says, your old men, they shall dream dreams. Your young men, they will see visions. And upon the servants and the handmaidens, they look like they are in the places of disadvantage. Handma- a handmaid, a maid servant, a houseboy, a watchman or a security man. Because they couldn't go to school like you did. They are in places of disadvantage. And yet he says, upon these ones also will I pour my spirit upon them. So everybody has his or her place. I want to say here, you are not a nobody. Don't stand and say, oh, I cannot do anything in the kingdom of God. And never you say to anyone, what are you doing in the house of God? And you say, I am only a... It means you are looking down on the role that God has given to you. Proudly say it. I am a janitor. I am in the ushering department. I am a greeter at the door. I am somebody who prays for the senior pastor. I do this. I do that. There are so many things that people do. Just um, There was a time when one of our uh, mothers, our comfort, told us a story. And she said she was sitting 
at the front here, when the Lord spoke to her, he said, go to the back. She went to the back and as she was going, she got to one lady and then she stopped. And when she was getting her, the Lord told her, pick some money with you. And so it was time of worship. Everybody's hands were lifted. And as she got there, she put the money in the hands of one lady. The Lord prompted her to give the money to. So she put the money in the lady's hands and then she came back and sat down. Apparently, this woman had come to church and even the worship, she couldn't concentrate because she was like, if I sit here and it's time for offering and the people are going out, what am I going to do when I get here? And she could not concentrate. But you see, when she, Mama Comfort responded, somebody had the peace of mind to worship God. It looked insignificant. In fact, if she hadn't told me, I would never have known. She did it quietly. She was not a nobody in the house of the Lord. The lady who arranged these flowers and did these scallops and all that, the decorations, together with the ushering department, she came all the way from Accra. And I remember when she landed on Monday morning, she never went home until 2 a.m. From morning till the following day, 2 a.m., she sat here and did all the decorations. At a point, I came and I said, oh, we don't have enough yellow. It's not, the gold is not coming out well when you stand at the back there. You know what she did? She started phoning Accra. Before the Accra bus left, she started phoning can you people buy me some yellow flowers? She will call this person and the person will say, I don't have money. She will call that person and the person will say, I don't have money. And she began to cry. I am talking about somebody who is not the preacher. I'm talking about somebody who, let me say, is not even a fountain gator. She began to cry. And she said, can, who can I get to buy me yellow flowers so that I can put them in this thing for the thing to come out and be projected well. Finally, she got somebody and the person bought the flowers. They gave them to the people who were coming from Accra. The members were coming from Accra and they brought them. And when she told me this thing, I sat down and I said, I told myself, this is not a preacher. This is not one of the big people. She came in, she did her work. Two days, she stayed here. She went home at 2 a.m. Almost every day until the work was done. And when she needed something, she fought all around. I didn't give her money. She did it. And even before she came here, she had to comb the whole of Accra because we wanted a particular color of purple. And she couldn't get it easily. And she went, there was a day when I spoke to her at 9 p.m. She was still at Medina Market. I'm talking about the little big people. Just so that this whole place could look nice. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not a nobody. There is something that you can contribute. There's something that you can do in the house of the Lord. Think about the opportunities that you have. There's so much for you to do. So don't sit down and think, I can't do anything and I'm discouraged. I like something that uh, I read from a man of God and he was talking about God rebuking his people in the church. And he said, people tap into anointing for, 
for, for money, for business. People tap into anointing for healing. People tap into anointing for evangelism. But there's an area of anointing my people are not tapping into. And he said, Lord, what area of anointing? And he said, the helps, the, the area of helps. The helps ministry, my people don't tap into it. And he said, Lord, how do we tap into this ministry? And he said that many times when people come into the church and they are made workers in the house of the Lord, immediately my anointing for the, for the ministry is released. And as it begins to drop on them, they are energized. They are enthusiastic. They want to work. They want to do everything that they have been asked to do. So they are, all, they are ushers and by 5 a.m. they are here to sweep. They are choristers and they are enthusiastic about their choir practice. They want to learn the songs and they want to do everything that they need to do. And yet, when offense comes, when there's a little rebuke, they move away. And the moment they move away, the anointing ceases. The anointing cuts. He says, my people don't receive all the anointing for that ministry. They move themselves away because of offense. They move themselves away because of things that people do and they don't like it. Can you imagine if you stand at the door and uh, you ask somebody to come and sit at a particular place and the person is like, oh, I have my own place to sit. You may feel offended. And if you don't take care, the next time you won't stand there to usher. But by the time you take yourself out of the place, you have moved yourself out of the anointing. And he said, there are other areas of anointing my people are tapping into. But when it comes to the area of health, ministry, serving in the house of the Lord, my people are not tapping into it. But I pray this morning that wherever God has set you, you will tap into that anointing. And you will do it with all of your heart. Because God respects that ministry that he has given to you. Hallelujah. You are not a nobody. There are opportunities. There are opportunities for you. There are people that are known in this world. And yet, it took other people to make them who they are. Martin Luther was one man whose theology was so strong. And he inspired the translation of the New Testament. But there was somebody behind him who helped him, who inspired him to do the translation. His name was Melacton. Nobody knows the Melacton, but we all know Martin Luther. We all know D.L. Moody, that great evangelist. He had a Bible school. He had an orphanage. He had a great publishing house, D.L. Moody. It took his Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimball, to minister to him, and he got converted. We all know D.L. Moody. Nobody knows Mr. Kimball. The wife of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was the apostle of preachers. By age 20, he had preached over 600 sermons. By age 20. And yet, he had a wife, a simple woman, and yet this woman, in his own description, said this about her. She is glad to sink her individuality in mine. She seeks no renown for herself. My honor is reflected upon her and she rejoices in it. She will defend my name even with her dying breath. A great apostle. 
William Carey, a great missionary to India, there was somebody who motivated, who sponsored his trip to India. And the person was a medical missionary by the name John Thomas. Nobody knew him. Nobody knows John Thomas. But we all know William Carey. Who was it who refreshed Apostle Paul in the Roman dungeons when he wrote his last letter to Timothy? It was Onesiphorus. Who helped Charles Finney, sorry, Charles Wesley, to get away or to get underway as a composer of hymns? There were some German Moravians he came in contact with. Nobody knows them. He met them once and after interacting with them, it was enough to get him to write over 6,000 hymns. We all know Charles Wesley, but nobody knows those German Moravians. Who were the parents of the prophet Daniel in the land of Babylon? We all know Daniel. We know the great statesman and all the things that he did, but we don't know his parents. They are not known. But at least we see the input, we see the investment that they made in the life of Daniel in the land of Babylon, right far away from Israel. Who was the mother of the lad who gave his lunch for the feeding of the 5,000? The mother is not known. The boy's name is even not known. We are only told there was a lad, but there was a mother who baked those loaves and who baked those fishes. We see a man, a renowned neurosurgeon by the name Ben Carson in John Hopkins University. His mother was a third grade dropout. What I mean by that is she went up to class three and then she could go no further. And yet she got these children motivated, incited them and brought the best out of them. And today we have one of the best neurosurgeons in America, who can separate Siamese twins who are joined in the head. But they took a third grade dropout. The Hebrew, the Greek, she didn't know. Sometimes she would tell the children, I want you to go to the library and then come and summarize the things that you have learned. And they would come and summarize. She would look at it and say, it's not good enough. Go and do it again. It was later in life they got to realize their mother could not read. Can I talk to the men? We know about Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know very much about his brothers and sisters. But very little is known about the earthly father of Jesus. I'm talking about Joseph. I know about just two lines that is written about him. Number one, he was a just man. And number two, he did the commandments of the Lord. That is all that I have read. Maybe the scholars will know more. But I've known just these two. That is all I know about Joseph, the earthly father of of Jesus. And yet, when you look at the Jewish custom, any time 
a male son is born, he takes after the profession of his father. So Joseph was a carpenter and Jesus followed after him. Now, the greater part of the 30 years of the life of Jesus is silent. We don't know anything. And yet, when Jesus died, and the disciples went into the tomb to look for him, they did not see Jesus, but they saw a napkin that was folded. And it lay there. According to the Jewish custom, in the time a carpenter was working on a, a piece of furniture, they always covered it with a napkin. But as soon as the furniture is finished and the work is accomplished, they took the napkin and they folded it and then they put it down, meaning work was accomplished. We don't know much about the earthly father of Jesus. We don't know what he did in the life of Jesus. But at least when Jesus rose and he folded the napkin and put it in the tomb, it tells us that this man, though we don't know much about him, he had an influence on the life of Jesus. And when he folded the napkin and he put it in the tomb, what he was saying is, work is accomplished. It is finished. It is done. And he rose. Fathers, your role in the life of your children it's very important. You are their hero. You are their hero. Anything that you will do to make sure that you remain so in their lives, please go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. You are important in the life of somebody. Ladies and gentlemen, you have not come to the place of seeing the importance of an interpreter until you meet one who distorts all your ways. This morning, Sister Julie was telling me a story about a man of God who went to a place and he went to preach. And he said, Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, Get your loins with the belt of truth. And then the interpreter came and said, Samwati, also saying, or see a jatabinumu, a wenipedu yenimua. So, omu kawamu hua, no mu dinipe koyabone, ain't no Bible say, guard your lions. Can you imagine, guard your loins with the belt of truth? And the whole thing now has been interpreted into guard your lions. You never know the value of a, a good interpreter until you meet one who changes all your ways from guard your loins to what? Guard your lions. Hallelujah. But I want you to know that God respects you. Anywhere that he has placed you, he respects the anointing of God upon your life. He has given you the anointing for it and make sure that you function in such a way that nobody can beat you in doing that thing. Hallelujah. The last thing I want to let, let you know is that the little big people, as they do their work, they will surely be rewarded. You will surely be rewarded. Hallelujah. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, the verse 10, it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love, which you minister unto their 
saints. God is a rewarder. God is a rewarder. You see, if it was men who were rewarding, then we would say that there is no hope. Because sometimes, human beings as we are, we forget. Human beings as we are, we overlook. And human beings as we are, sometimes when we need to even accord that recognition, we don't do it. But it is God who is the rewarder. And God, who is no respecter of persons, will surely reward you. Hallelujah. He will reward you. And I like it when it says in uh, Matthew chapter 25, it says one day the king is going to stand and he is going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the criteria for separation is going to be something very simple. It says, for when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they will say, where did you see you? Hungry, thirsty, sick, in prison. And we came to your aid. He says, as, as long as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And he would tell them, come into the rest that I have prepared for you. Simple, simple, simple things. I was hungry. You fed me. We have come to a convention. There are people here who may not have enough money for three square meals. There will be nothing wrong with somebody. A little big person here preparing food. Three, four, five bucks. And saying, let me go and look for a nursing mother. And share it out to them. We've come to a convention. We've all dressed nicely. But you spot one, two, three, four people. And you realize they are not well attacked. But we are all in the house of God. And we are all going to heaven. There's nothing wrong with taking some two, three, four changes of garments. And says, here, take it. Take this. Take that. We've all come to a convention. And as there is time for offering, we see one particular person. And the past two days, the person has been seated. Not because the person wants to sit there. But there is no money. There's nothing wrong with going to the person after the service. says, can you take this? As long as you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto him. And God is a rewarder. Don't look down on the assignment that God has given to you in the house. Sometimes it will be difficult. Sometimes you may feel provoked. There are times when you think nobody even recognizes you. You will feel discouraged. You will feel like giving up. But church, I want you to know that the things that seem unnecessary, they are the ones that God has placed more honor on. The things that look like they are not important, they are the ones that God sees as very important. Maybe, let me say it this way, unseen does not mean unneeded. Anonymous does not mean unnecessary. It does not mean that at all. And let me end by saying, there was this prophecy that pastor gave. And yesterday, as I began to meditate on these things, the Lord drew my attention to the prophecy that came to the man of God on the 31st of December, 2005. And he gave this prophecy 
and it was so frightening. But I see that prophecy come to pass. I see God prepare a people who will not have titles, a people who will not have much education, a people who may not come from a prestigious background, and yet their desire and all that they want is to please him. It says, I want a generation of people who have no understanding of things of the spirit and their imagination have been darkened and as a result of continuous pursuit of things of the world, the time has come when I will prove to all nations that I am God. Behold, they come. Behold, they come. Behold, they come. A pure breed. They don't know sin. They don't know iniquity. There is no insincerity in them. Behold the people. They are a pure breed without any leaven. Behold the people who do not come through the corridors of guile into the kingdom of God. In them, there is no darkness. They walk in boldness and in the confidence of their God. They ride on horses like an army and yet they walk with the humility of footmen. These are the kind of people that God is raising in these days. These men carry simplicity and yet in the realm of their spirit, they are very complex. Their spirits are pure and their strength is that they know God. When they speak, they don't speak from experience, but they speak from the ignorance and the innocence of purity. They don't know much, yet they know him. They don't have much, yet they have him. They are not experienced in many things, and yet they have experienced him. Their testimony is clear. They are pure. Their testimony is clear. They are different. Their testimony is clear. They are set apart. Their testimony is clear. They know God. They tremble at his word. Their testimony is clear. They have eaten of the fruit of eternal life. And they have no intentions of tasting the corruption of death. Their testimony is clear. They are holy. They are pure. They fear God. They know his word. They live in him. And they derive their nourishment from him. Their testimony, ladies and gentlemen, it is clear. These people are holy. They are righteous. They are sanctified. They are not like the rest. They are different. They are young. They are pure. They are like the young cows and young kids. They run about with dignity. Ah, I see them. A clean, a pure breed from Jehovah. They have sanctified their hearts. Separated them from common use. He has established them like a sure foundation. And he has given them a name. That says the Lord. You have seen nothing yet. And if you can follow me in total consecration, I will cause you to make a total and comprehensive impact on your world. You will be different. Your story will be different. Your name will be different. And let me add that you are unique. You are different. God himself is the one who has set you in the place where you are. Don't look at man. Don't seek for recognition from man. Don't seek the applause of man. But seek the praise of God. Because here on earth, it is temporary. Even if you are given recognition, how far can it go? Maybe within these four walls. But if you can seek the recognition and the approval of the king of kings and the lord of lords, then one day when we stand before him in the, with the host of angels in front of all the brethren, of all the kindreds, the tribes, the nations, when we stand before him, then he can give us our recognition, our approval. He will acknowledge us, acknowledge us 
But ladies and gentlemen, whilst we are here on earth, let us not mind too much. If we will dig deep into the mud, if we will make ourselves dirty, just so that a a, a soul can be saved. If we can go on our knees until our knees pain, just so that we can deliver somebody from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. If we can come here at dawn to sweep and to, to become dusty just so that the people of God can sit in comfort. Ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and do it. One day, there will be a reward. One day, when the roll call sounds, we will stand before him and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, my great little people. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I pay tribute to these little big people. You are the best. You make things happen. When this table stands, you are the support. You are the support. When Joshua was in the field and was fighting, everybody saw him. This is the mighty man of valor. But there was an heir. There was an Aaron who held up the hands of Moses. You are the, yeah, you are the Aaron. Nobody's seeing you. Nobody's commending you. But we are doing this for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I salute you, little big people. God bless you.